nothing, nothing in politics is ever absolutely guaranteed. But it would take a massive global event, perhaps an asteroidal impact to uh, stop Xi Jinping from being, quote, selected to serve another five-year term as president of China. Richard McGregor is a senior fellow at the East Asia, for East Asia at the Lowy Institute. Uh, Richard was the Beijing bureau chief for the Fin Times and is the author of several fine books on China, the most recent of which is Xi Jinping, The Backlash. Richard, I know you've got a bit of a throat problem, so I'll speak quietly. This will be the third five-year term for the president of China. He's also, of course, the head of the military and the Com Party. But he's broken some rules, hasn't he, in getting there? Um, he certainly has. And I do apologise in advance if my voice sounds like a, a bioweapon in the course of this interview. Um, but, yes, I mean, th- we had this sort of, you know, what we might call, you know, creeping institutionalisation of uh, Chinese politics and where leaders would get two five-year terms and that was attached to the president, the position of president. And once the president and the party secretary were the same people, um, that meant uh, two five-year terms as head of the Communist Party, which is where all the power resides. Um, but <clears throat> Xi Jinping threw that out in 2018 um, uh, and, you know, one, we don't know exactly what's going to happen to the Party Congress, which starts on Sunday, but it's pretty likely, if I am if I had to hazard a guess, he once again will not su- appoint a successor uh, to himself. So he's sort of leader in perpetuity at the, at the moment, um, uh, at his own pleasure. Will there be any opposition or at least silent consternation inside the the party elite that he's bent the rules to suit himself? Uh, Totally. Um, You know, I mean, Xi Jinping has got a lot of internal critics and enemies. You know, some of those enemies I call bad enemies. They're the ones, the powerful families he's sort of um, defenestrated in the anti-corruption campaign. But there's many kind of what we might call good enemies or good critics, you know, liberal economists, rights lawyers. But the thing that unites them most of all is the way he's sort of made himself leader in perpetuity. But the truth these days is that he's in such command, um, has such control of the security services and the like, is that it's really impossible to organise against him. You know, usually in China, you know, criticism bubbles to the surface here and there in the official press, but we we see very little of that these days. Richard, not so long ago, there was a sort of a a panicky story that he wasn't at all well. I think he disappeared from public view for a couple of days. Do we know whether he's in good working order? Look, as far as we know, I think he went overseas for the first time since the start of COVID a few weeks ago to uh, Kazakhstan and a number of other Central Asian states. Um, And I think he might have gone into some form of quarantine when he came back. We got these weird rumours perpetrated by the Indian media and I think um, some Falun Gong followers that there'd been a coup. But I think that was uh, pretty quickly uh, put to bed. Well, I was about to call you on the phone and ask about that. It was an astonishing conspiracy theory. Would you be kind enough to explain the so-called 7-Up 
eight-out rule. Yes, that's right. So this is China is actually um, the <coughs> party to stop, you know, fiefdoms of power developing other than Xi himself has a ton of uh, retirement rules and rules about appointments. Uh, let me explain one of them first before I get to seven up, eight out. You know, they have the rule of avoidance, for example. So you, if you're the uh, head of Guangdong province, you don't come from Guangdong. Um, so that means you can't get a sort of a fiefdom in Guangdong province, which opposes the centre, Beijing. But the other rules are all related to age. So if you're not a minister by the time you're 59, you'll probably never be a minister. If you're not on the Politburo by the time you're 63, you'll never be on the Politburo. At the other end of that are retirement rules, and that's where the seven up, eight out comes. And so if you're 67, you can get another five-year term on the Politburo. If you're 68, you should retire. Now, we're going to see whether she sticks to those rules this time around or whether he kind of throws them out as well. There's a massive propaganda campaign underway uh, promoting the many marvels and blessings of his leadership. How deeply does this resonate? Is it is the broader population buying it? Look, it's a hard question to answer, but if you, you know, <clears throat> put me on the spot um, and say, you know, is Xi Jinping popular? would say he probably is, actually. Um, for one thing, the anti-corruption campaign is enormously popular. It probably is in most countries, democratic or otherwise, when you see big shots being taken down. Secondly, if you have a propaganda minister ministry and you control the message throughout the country, throughout the media, about how well China is doing, how well you are doing as a leader then that's obviously going to reinforce a whole lot of, you know, sentiment that might be there anyway. So he probably is popular, but of course, we don't re they don't really have proper opinion polling in China. There's a very nice analogy a friend of mine said that, you know, when, when they do opinion polling in China, the recipients of the, the questions, you know, the ordinary punters, they treat it like they're sitting for an exam and they think they've got to get the right answer. <laughs> and, of course, the right answer is, yes, Xi Jinping and the Communist Party are doing a great job. But, you know, China has done well, comparable to many other countries, so it wouldn't be surprising if the government and Xi were popular. Well, you've talked about his uh, attack on corruption. How is he treating his oligarchs? Yeah, that's very interesting. The, you know... The you know, enduring irony, the Chinese don't see it as an irony, is that the Communist Party <clears throat> is supported by the private sector. In other words, the Chinese economy only thrives because the private sector <clears throat> thrives, um, and they've learned to live with that. But one thing that the party, one cardinal rule for the Chinese Communist Party is that there should be no alternative centres of power. And when they look, for example, at what happened in Russia in the 1990s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, you had the rise of an oligarch class who then became politically active and politically ambitious, and China won't allow that. And so when you got the likes of the, um, <coughs> excuse me, tech titans uh, like Jack Ma and the like, um, who the party considered to be getting too big for their boots, um, they simply chopped them off at the knees or sort of <coughs> cut them in status. So the oligarch class for the moment um, has been tamed, 
but they'll have to get used to the private sector because that's what drives the economy in China. Does uh, G have any obvious successes, Richard? Do you think he's likely to hand over power voluntarily at some stage? There's no obvious successor at the moment. Um, As I think I might have mentioned earlier, I doubt we'll see one named uh, in coming weeks. You'd have to be pretty brave to put your head above the battlements, wouldn't you? (laughs) Well, that is totally true. Um, You hear some people, you know, names mentioned, and people say that is the last thing they want, to be nominated uh, a successor to Xi Jinping, because people can't criticise Xi, but they sure as hell can go for you. Um, it's like that old, you know, Gary Larson cartoon where the somebody has a, a, a target on their back and is, is the bummer of the birthmark. It'd be simply like that. Um, so I, I think I think it's a very dangerous position to be to be a successor to him. Now I asked about his working order. He's of course sixty nine, but his dad died at eighty nine, and yeah. mum is in her nineties and still kicking on. So. He's got good genes. He has got good genes, but and the Politburo, of course, have fantastic, uh, the best doctors uh, available, and they're all fed from, um, you know, gardens, vegetable gardens and orchards, which um, with the best organic food um, and the like. But, you know, Xi Jinping is overweight. Um, he works hard. Uh, he was a smoker. Um, so who knows um, what might happen to his health? And that, I think, is one of the big problems of doing away with a succession. Because, you know, in the West, we like to say China doesn't have political reform. And by that, we mean it's not becoming a liberal democracy. But in their terms, they had big political reforms by having a succession process, something that few authoritarian countries have pulled off. China solved that problem, and then Xi Jinping threw it out. So if he were to fall over... That's potentially quite a destabilising event. There's been some serious concerns about a so-called alliance of autocracies between China and Russia. The uh, the two have a no-limits partnership and uh, have recently conducted military exercise together. How is uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine recalibrating the relationship between those two autocracies? Well, I'd say it's testing it. Um, You know, Putin and Xi, as you know, met recently in Central Asia, the first time since the invasion. Putin acknowledged that, quote-unquote, China had questions and concerns about Ukraine. And obviously, China's chief concern is that Russia didn't get the job done in three days and basically stuffed it up. Uh, In the process, they've upended global energy markets and global farm markets, which is tremendously damaging for China. They're hit by that just uh, as we are. Uh, And of course, Russia, um, we don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine, but they're quite possibly they could lose the war. And that's a disaster. I mean, China doesn't mind having Russia as a junior partner, um, but they don't want a really weak Russia because Russia is very important for China in what it sees as the sort of coming conflict with the United States. So I think, you know, the No Limits Partnership, by the way, has turned out to have limits because China is not sending them arms and is not helping them out financially. 
My croaky guest is Richard McGregor. Richard is Senior Fellow for East Asia at the Lowy Institute. Now, he might be around for life, but you wrote recently in The Fin that the entire foreign policy team that have worked with him for the last decade are likely to be shown the door. Yes, well, this is where we come back to the um, seven-up, eight-out rule again. Uh, You know, followers of, you know, Sino-Australian diplomacy, the two figures at the top of Chinese foreign policy, uh, really for 15 years, and in one case, a quarter of a century, is uh, Yang Jiechi, and under him, the foreign minister, Wang Yi. They're both well past retirement age. Now, um, I think both of them might retire, or at least one of them will retire. Uh, and we have no sense uh, really of who their replacement will be um, or two replacements. There's no obvious candidates uh, of that of their kind of stature. But, you know, one of the interesting things about this party congress is that we always agonise over personnel, who's up, who's down, what does it mean? But if all these figures are simply ciphers of Xi Jinping, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Um, I mean, I think it probably does, but, you know, if he's in command of everything, as your occasional guest Jeremy Barmay called him, he's the chairman of everything, um, you know, everybody else is simply an advisor, a supplicant or a spokesperson. Richard, could this be the end of wolf-warrior diplomacy? Well, everybody's uh, looking uh, for that. Um, they have toned it down in the last uh, six months to, <clears throat> excuse me, a year or so. Um, but I think any change is kind of, you know, uh, tactical, if you like, rather than permanent. Um, it depends on China's stature in the world. I don't think the fundamental antagonism of the uh, Chinese Communist Party to the West and to America, which of course is thoroughly uh, reciprocated, Uh, is going to change. You know, China's fundamental goals, whether she is there or not, uh, about Taiwan, about the South China Sea, about another one of your favourite topics, the Senkaku Islands, um, the Ayutai, um, (coughs) which are disputed with Japan, none of that goes away. So any change in diplomatic practice is, is it would be temporary, I think. What about the economic slowdown that's afflicting the planet? Is that going to uh, curtail his ambitions? I think this is the most interesting part of China today. <clears throat> They've got a sort of slow burn property crisis, which is hurting growth. But the biggest problem in China today is the, <coughs> excuse me, the COVID zero policy. That is absolutely strangling the economy. Uh, And it's very hard for China uh, to get out of that, you know, because if they let the virus rip, they're going to see what happened to them as just just as what happened in other countries. A lot of people are going to die. And that unwinds the whole propaganda which has surrounded COVID in China, which is the Communist Party has protected its citizens, the health of its citizens. And those crummy democracies like America and the UK and the like uh, have seen you know, millions of people die. And so, but they, and on top of that, um, they don't have a good public health system. Their vaccinations are subpar. They won't import foreign vaccinations. You have many sort of elderly people who don't want to get vaccinated. <clears throat> and many of the men in China, of course, have been smoking, elderly men have been smokers for 50 years. 
you know, not the kind of condition you including, want to get from respiratory. Including, as you put it out, the president. Yes, I think he's given it up lately, but, you know, it's it's not a recipe um, for an easy unwinding of COVID. And we're still getting lockdowns and we're still getting the People's Daily, the mouthpiece piece of the party, uh, saying that we've got to stick with this program. Richard, we've got to wind up. Thanks a lot. Richard McGregor, Senior Fellow at the Lowy Institute for International Policy and the author of Xi Jinping, The Backlash. G'day, potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and your missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.